welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. Kyla and I are from the Institute for African American Mentoring in Computing Sciences, or IMCS. IMCS serves as a national resource for computing students, faculty, and industry professionals. We're funded by the National Science Foundation. Our goals are to increase the number of African Americans receiving doctoral degrees in the computing sciences, to promote and engage students in teaching and training opportunities, and to add more diverse researchers into the advanced technology workforce. This podcast is funded by the National Center for Women in Information Technology. NCWIT is a nonprofit that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the participation of all women in the field of computing. So we are back. Yeah. With Nancy's back with us. Nancy DeYoung. Hey, hey. This is the Missy Elliott of tech. Yes. The go-getter, line stepper, change maker, doing the most. All of the things. She is all of the things. On our last episode, we talked a lot about Nancy's educational experiences and how she grew up and how that has informed who she is today. But on this episode, we really want to get into kind of her more like industry, industrial experiences yeah. and and how that has gone and the opportunities that you've been given through some of the positions that you've held, which is about to blow your mind. Right. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so Nancy, let's start with some of the roles that you have had and which are your favorite? Oh, great. So I have held engineering, research, and design positions at Intel, Cisco, IBM, Google, Uber. I've consulted with uh, folks at Netflix, Instagram, uh, you name it. They probably know of me. I've heard <laughs> my work. I'm kind of considered the person that you just add water to you to anything and helps grow. So mm. you know how some people think about accelerators of you know that accelerate yeah. programs. I consider myself a hydrator. So oh, you know, I'm working on the lines a bit. But you know, you hire me, and I will definitely help you scale to places all over the world and really understand your own limitations of design. And we'll go into that a bit. But so I've also worked for folks uh, for companies that. You may not necessarily associate with tech, but they have lots of tech components, mm. such as T-Mobile, um, uh, Time Warner Cable, mm -hmm. uh, Comcast, Pfizer, uh, an information site. Baxter okay. was one of my favorite roles. So Baxter's is a medical device company. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was working in Waukegan, Illinois, and I remember <laughs> when... I was asked to work with them. I was a consultant at the time, and I was supposed to be working on visual guides. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a visual guide is, that is kind of uh, the guide that tells you, here is our brand, this is how we, what we stick to, and this is what we don't stick to. So we don't mm -hmm. use these kinds of fonts, we don't use these kinds of colors, mm -hmm. we okay. have this consistent branding. Mm -hmm. And at the time that they sent me over there, I didn't know what a visual guy was. <laughs> 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 I was like, please don't send me. <laughs> please don't do this. But they knew I was a really, really fast learner. So they knew if I threw was, was thrown into anything, they call it like a fire hose experience. Yep. I yep. was just going to pick it right back up. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of my world. I've always lived in a world of think tanks. Um, 
So that it sounds to me like you've done engineering, you've done information technology, you've done data science, you've done like this user experience space, you've done human computer interaction, you've done what, what is the common denominator? What am I right. missing? Nancy is the common denominator. <laughs> well, so the, the way you want to think about me is that I am everything that's the cross between humanity and technology, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the space I like to operate in. Anything that's actually going to touch a consumer, a customer, a person, I want to be in the mix. But a lot of people think I'm mostly in the mix for scale, right? I'm known as a scale queen. I help folks... Um, get their products into other markets Mm -hmm. that don't have their representation by using user experience to help them understand some of the cultural boundaries and different things. So you can imagine if I'm going to build out for a place like Korea from Silicon Valley, you can't just bring westernized concepts to the table to build for them or else your project is going to be rejected. A great example is think of introducing the Play Store in a place like India. The Play Store, some of you guys know, is where Google has the ability to have people buy books and music and things Mm -hmm. like that, kind of like iTunes. Um, In the Play Store, let's say you want to use Google Play Music uh, and you want to do something in India, but you don't understand that people in India search music by Bollywood titles. Mm. How do you help them use your technology if there isn't a search by Bollywood title (laughs) kind of (laughs) section? And so it's really about adapting this technology in a lot of different places, but... To be honest, I see myself more as the conscious of technology, mm. right? You you got to think about the fact that I work in a in a world with majorly white males, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or folks who you know don't see a lot of me <laughs> around. Yeah. So I've been very fortunate to be um, in the room for important decisions that are going on. And one of the things I notice in Orsol here is some of the negative things that we've done, some of the failures that we don't talk about, and some of the great things that we don't talk about and we don't share with other companies or the world. And so when I walk into the room and I hear someone say, okay, I have this awesome idea, <laughs> right? This awesome idea, and I think we should do something like X, Y, Z. Uh, I'm the voice, I think, that comes in and says, well, is that a cool factor? Is that a luxury Or is that something that people actually need? Mm. Or are you just thinking about this kind of, I I call it, and I've coined it in UX user experience, as nobility complex. Are you actually developing something more from your own self-serving bias to pat yourself on the back, but Mm. not necessarily build for another world? I'll give you an example that's a little closer to home. Haitian earthquake. My, I was in Haiti a day before the Haitian earthquake. And we should mention that you are Haitian. I am right? a very, very proud Haitian lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was in Haiti before the Haitian earthquake. My parents dropped me off at the airport. And uh, I got a call from a friend in Ethiopia who said, hey, Nancy, Haiti's been hit by an earthquake. And I'm like, that's impossible. I was stuck in New York trying to get to University of Michigan. Um, and at this point, I was pursuing a PhD in human factors engineering. And... Um, I couldn't believe that because my parents had literally dropped me off in the home that they stay in was supposedly at the epicenter where the earthquake was hit. And so when that happened, that changed plans pretty quickly with my life. And people reached out to me. You know, I know a lot of people everywhere and everyone reached out to me and they said, oh, my God, Nancy, I know you have no idea where your parents are because they were missing at the time. There was no way to communicate with them via phone. All the towers were down or or flooded. Um, the only way you could access anybody 
was through technology if they knew how to use technology and my parents did not Mm -hmm. my family did not you know um maybe the younger generation had a better idea of how to use things but basically it was to search for them uh i had to create search committees through facebook with my cousins and we weren't only just searching for my parents we were sending them out to areas they were coming in from the south and going to different neighborhoods to um basically give back information that I would then give back to American Haitian Haitian Americans, right? But the you reason had this all was all of these people trying to help, mm-hmm. right? That were trying to offer you things. But they didn't understand nobody was asking me what I needed help with. So for example, oh, okay. building search committees, the reason that I even came to to the forefront was because I was watching on CNN so much disaster from the news, right? I'm watching them say oh the Haitians are revolting they're revolting because they don't understand what the Haitians are saying they're just out there in the streets Mm -hmm. and the Haitians are saying this food is expired don't take it don't take it because Uh. the dates are written in American language for those of you who don't know the way dates are written in the United States are very different from the way dates are written in Europe so we work with the European system Mm -hmm. and if you don't have a translator with you that's understanding Creole and you hear loud Haitians saying don't eat the food you might just start saying on the news the Haitians are revolting when that's not happening or Mm -hmm. you might post something on the news like if you have a family member that's been affected by the Haitian earthquake send us your their address and information and we'll see what we can do in our community, not everything is by address right. systems. We actually know communities by, in some cases, the last name of the area. It's not like the U.S. postal system yeah. on all cases. And so I knew that the westernized societies that were trying to help Haitians didn't know what the heck was going on. They didn't yeah. even have someone to speak to to say, this is not the way you do this. Mm-hmm. So we took it upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. I stayed in New York and helped with a bunch of people trying to figure out where their family members were. It took six days for me to find my mother yeah. and two weeks to find my father, who was on the road at the time. But you can imagine during that waiting period, this is where all my friends are contacting me saying, I want to help. But what they're saying to me as well is they're giving me information. They said, we know we can't help with finding your parents. But what we can do is we can send clothes. We can send clothes. Just tell us where to send clothes. Now, I came out looking like a monster during this time because... Nobody asked me what I wanted, mm-hmm. right? Because if you think about or it, if there is need or needed, right. right? So when you're telling me that you want to send clothes, and there are areas that are flooded, there are homes that don't exist. Where are your clothes gonna go? Right. Who are you sending clothes to? So who are you really <laughs> trying to cheer up here? Right. Are these clothes gonna put together this house? Right. Oh, right. Is is right? And so people are basically trying to figure out solutions for themselves to feel better. Yeah. So this is where I go back to this nobility complex. They don't realize that's what's happening. But it's the same difference between, um, let's say you're trying to design something for a baby. I like to use this example, like a mobile, the thing that <laughs> rotates on top of a baby crib. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks will think about what is the best experience for this child and say, let's say uh, it's a baby boy. Maybe we'll throw some footballs in there. Maybe we'll throw a couple trains, some things like really, really paying attention to the needs of this child. But without realizing it, they don't know that they're actually designing more for themselves because what a child is looking at is the bottoms of these toys. Right. And so a lot of the time, a lot of folks don't recognize that what they're building for other people is based on a limited perspective and really also built on what they believe they have of resources to give. Had they asked me what we needed, I would have told them that we need wells. 
had they asked me what we needed, I would have told them that we really need like search committees to help us, right? On the ground, right? Or you know, or to find folks, or to like actually organize, Mm -hmm. right? Something they could actually give. But what ends up happening in a lot of corporations in in general is the rest of the world is seen as a charity, Mm -hmm. and I want the rest of the world not to be seen as a charity, but a place to collaborate with. There is genius and working with people who are underrepresented and working with folks who have limited resources. Yep. There is profit and working with folks that don't have the resources to build something because if you can tap into their innovation and their knowledge mm-hmm. to produce, even when you give them the worst parts of an animal, mm-hmm. slavery, <laughs> right? Even if you give them the worst parts of anything and they still manage with their souls to create solutions for themselves, yeah. that's a scalable solution. That's a solution that could probably touch multi-millions of people in the world who may have the same limitations. But it's not about seeing the world as helpless and needing saviors, the savior complex, right? It's about how do we recognize where we can come in and collaborate, co-design is what we're calling it, right? Versus just building what we think they need. And so going back to what I was saying is I see myself as a bit of a conscious between the humanity and the tech, right? I'm coming in and saying, hey guys, instead of launching quickly, Let's put a pause and make sure that we're actually addressing the needs of these users and not actually including our own self-serving bias in the process of design, which can be difficult to do if you don't recognize that you have bias. And guess what? We We all have have bias. bias. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So you've made this transition from graduate school where you had done all this work that was related to sociology and technology and infusing those together. And now you're in Silicon Valley, having moved from the Midwest after living on the East Coast, <laughs> after immigrating from Haiti. There's a lot there right, <laughs> that we could talk about. But how was that transition for you moving into a, another white male dominated space? Yeah. So, you know, I, I like to tell people that I've always lived in culture shock. And, you know, <laughs> that's why I'm comfortable in like think tank spaces. Everything. I mean, I've traveled so many places. I said in the first episode, I've been to over 70 countries, mostly by myself as a woman. And so the experience of living in Spain versus living in Silicon Valley versus living in Haiti uh, versus living in Nepal. Right. I have been in states where, normally speaking, I'm the oddity, (laughs) you know, but in being the oddity, I hear things so differently. Right. And so the way I view culture, I have a high level of respect for it. But I also understand. And you heard from the first episode that people don't necessarily ask questions. Yeah. Right. And so because people don't necessarily ask these questions to really get um, either who the user is or honestly, in their own cultures, people don't ask themselves the questions as to why am I even doing this thing? Yeah. Right. I lived in a household in Spain where. Everything I put in the microwave was thrown in the trash, and they said, you're a woman, you cook. <laughs> right? And I'm like, but I do know how to cook. I just want to heat it up. Wow. I do know how to cook. I just, just this one time, wow. can I just heat this up? I don't think I had up? a microwave in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> the, the house was built. It was condos that were pre-built with uh, microwaves, and that's super interesting when things are pre-built with things that mm-hmm. don't necessarily apply to certain cultures. That's odd, yeah. hmm and so you've been asking them, then why is there a microwave in this house if you expect everybody to cook? They're like, well, we didn't build this place this we way. We don't agree this. with this. Yeah. Right. Um, there was a, a a story I like to tell in Panama where the Germans came and decided to give people modern ovens. 
You know, the mm-hmm. ones that you put up against the oh, wall yeah. with the little gas stove. They came back years later to see how people were using the ovens and people had filled the ovens with plates yeah. and things yeah. like that. They were using it for storage. Yeah. Yeah. The reason that it was being used as storage and not traditionally as an oven is because they did, did not take into account this round thing that sits in the center of a room was more than just an oven. Mm-hmm. It was more than something that cooked food. It was something that created warmth. It's something that built community that sat around it. And so you took away the functionalities mm-hmm. that brought people from using this thing. Like in Haiti, we have our, or some of our kitchens are outside, mm-hmm. right? You have to understand what are the benefits of this experience and you not decide to just plant something that you think is best. So I'm sure you're wondering how in the world did I create my own kind of world in tech? (laughs) Because it's a very resistant space. Yeah, and even even more so. Like, Nancy, I've always been enamored with the fact that no matter where you are, you figure out a way to do exactly what you want to do. (laughs) Yeah. And find a way to, you know, achieve what your passions are and things like that just in any role that you're in. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you first about the gap that I found. Here I am at University of Michigan um, learning the coolest things I'm like I I went to school thinking I was just gonna make bank off of it and I ended up falling in love with the things I was learning Mm -hmm. it was so exciting to me to hear that there was a real world of people who really did consider consider the end user I'm thinking no one really thought about me because I lived in the hood nobody was paying attention to us Mm. right and here's a world where there are people who are trying to figure it out but there's not enough of people that look like me to say hey there are these problems that we need to solve and these other parts too. Mm-hmm. It's just people who are like, oh, I think there's a problem here. Let me go in and bring my nobility complex and right. try to solve it from my eyes without really understanding how these people function, right? Yeah, and yeah. then you have the lack of trust in our community too where it's like, I don't want y'all here. Yeah. Right, you know, right. How do what I know you what you're doing is actually going to be a benefit to me? Yeah. Even outsiders with the best intentions you know, can often be turned away because it's like, again, what are you doing here? What is your tie to this community? Representation matters. It matters more beyond the fact that it's a feel-good thing. It actually equals dollars. And that's something I try to to explain to folks. And so I took my first human factors engineering class, and I was learning so many cool things, like (laughs) the fact that bars lower their lights at night uh, because uh, this thing that we call intimacy is actually Mm -hmm. light being removed from your eyes that creates stronger intimacy between the person in front of you and so when lights are lowered you can hear the person across from you better whereas if the room was crowded in bright lights you'd be shouting across each other (laughs) but there can be a thousand people in a room and i'm learning all these things about casinos being pumped with oxygen and um, the most addictive machines being by the bathrooms and the doorways uh the exits right and i'm learning that that clocks are removed yeah yeah so the music they play in the machines have these like progressive tones that seem to con they have the illusion of constantly escalating even though it's like a cycle so i'm learning about sociology and psychology and how things are impacted by them and i'm learning there's a bunch of people who are hiring people to use this knowledge of human factors right to build things that make people spend more money and you didn't even know didn't when you know. decided, oh, I'm going to do this sociology thing. That it was going to come back around. That it was going to lead to yeah. you actually having an expertise in this niche within a field that, I mean, it's expansive, right? And you just happen to be talented at both. Well, it was also important that I, I chose to walk my own steps, yep. right? If you think about it, 
if you have all this knowledge in computer science, you can be a top tech executive, mm-hmm. right? I could have done a lot of things and blown up and made a billion dollars doing this and that. I could have started my own corporation. But I so badly wanted to take the time to understand what I was trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out almost like untangling what was in my soul and still trying to untangle what it is because I know there's purpose in what I'm doing. And so here I am in the classrooms, again, learning about casinos, and they're telling me things about you know, painting the walls red. And I said, wait a minute, there's something wrong here with what you guys are saying. I understand what human factors is from a biological and psychological standpoint, but you guys are missing this huge space called culture, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I tell the story that I went to Nepal and India and, you know, I know a bit about people culturally appropriating, so I know how to ask questions <laughs> before mm-hmm. I just do anything. Yeah. And I thought the saris were so beautiful and I wanted to wear a sari. And so I asked permission from the locals if it was okay without disrespect for me to purchase a sari. And they were like, absolutely. You know, these people were like, we love it. You know, yeah. go mm-hmm. out and get it and all these things. And I walked into a store and I asked this gentleman who we have a language barrier to, to help me pick out material. Now, what do you do when you have a language barrier in a place where, point, you know? Pictionary. Right. Point. You can point or Gesture. you can do what I did and just repeat Beyonce softer and softer. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, 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 Beyonce. <laughs> right? Oh and so I figured they would understand that there was some significance to this word, Beyonce. <laughs> right? And, I mean, he would show me material. I'm like, no, 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 more Beyonce. <laughs> right? <laughs> so here we are eventually getting to this material that is gorgeous. It gets made up in two days, and I am in the streets because, you know, sorry is something people wear yes. mm-hmm. uh, everywhere, and I'm literally romantically buying fruit while looking over my shoulder because I know I look good. <laughs> I know I look good, and people are staring at me. I'm used to being stared at in some places, but, you know, uh-huh. people, yeah. I'm looking to get a little attention, right? My friend runs up to me and goes, what are you doing? Right, like in shock. I'm like, I'm clearly looking fine while buying fruit. And she says to me, you are wearing a wedding dress. I had no idea that red and gold representations of wedding colors. I'm thinking I'm just buying beautiful material, Mm. but they think I'm a runaway bride that Uh got hungry. Right. And so and so here I am trying to figure out how do you escape with this wedding dress on. And I'm also learning in India, like white is a color that represents funerals. So here I am back in school. And you're telling me that red is painted on casino walls to keep people alert. But if you don't know how red is seen in India, you don't know how white is responded to in West Africa or mm. certain regions, how can you speak true to fact what's a human factors yeah. uh, situation and what in fact is uh, what I believe was a, a cultural uh, dilemma yeah. within this space of engineering? So there's lack of cultural competency. And right. in our curriculum, you're not going to learn those, that information. Right, not and that requires... A, a little bit of difference. So he, this is the beauty of it. I found value in being a black woman because I could see things that other people could not see. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so here I am growing in poverty and things like that, but I can actually literally speak up for those voices because I came from that background mm-hmm. to say, hey guys, all of you with your private school educations, I get that. <laughs> you understand <laughs> yeah. this to be X, Y, Z, but there's a real world out there that's beyond the limitations of your white lens. And there's right? a real world out there that has much more of the capital in right. this country yeah. and spends way more than the more elite population, right? Like the mm-hmm. elite populations tend to keep their wealth and not <laughs> spend their wealth. 
Whereas we, especially in the black community, we're the big spenders. Right. Like, so we feel like you have to show your wealth. And yeah. You can't have something and keep it too. Right. Well, so here's here's this gap, and I'm the only voice saying, hey, guys, I think there's something wrong here. Mm. And folks are saying to me, well, there's nobody really looking at these areas of humanities mixed with tech in the way that you're speaking of from a cultural sense. So if you want to get this PhD, you might want to make it work for what we're doing here and the resources we have. So if you can't prove that it can make us money, then then there's a problem with some of your thesis. And I said, why is there an assumption that I can't prove that it makes money? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I thought that was ridiculous. In fact, all I was saying was, if you capture this different perspective, you're now increasing this new knowledge yeah. is giving you the ability to make more money. So I never thought of this, but here's back to this nobility complex where, of course, you would think there's no profit in designing for the black community, <laughs> designing for the underrepresented community, when quite literally a lot of them are mostly your customers. How about right? That? Just because you can't get them in a user lab because you're based in Silicon Valley Mm-hmm. <laughs> right just because you don't know where they are doesn't mean they there. don't exist mm-hmm. right and yeah. so it was really important for me to share the information that hey we're designing in a space where poverty is at a hundred thousand dollars a year for a family mm-hmm. right right how are you building for the rest of the world right. with that view that yeah. lens and so i i decided to fight to try to expose that gap and try to find a way for us to use that as an opportunity to create not only opportunities for people of color and the underrepresented, but also to create opportunities for these tech companies, right? It's called conscious capitalism. It's this idea that you can make money by doing the right thing. So right now, Nancy, what are you working on? So, um, as you can see, that I've, I've I finally made a career of myself where <laughs> I, I don't actually have to apply for jobs, <laughs> which is lovely. Um, How you do know, you work that out? Right. Well... I became an expert in something, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And um, I've decided to kind of stick to my guns about working in the space of this cross between humanities and tech. And so I've had the option to, you know, express myself in any way I want to because of all these experience in a lot of places. I can be a product manager. I can be an engineer and researcher. But I wanted to be able to become a futurist, right, mm-hmm. and help companies predict where we're going with the uh, – development of increasing our products to the next billion users, right? Okay. So what I'm working on now is helping um, corporations of all kinds uh, understand what happens when they scale, Mm. right? There's always a point where uh, a company might say, okay, we want to get more users, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. wants more customers. And so when you think about entering into these new markets, how do you do it in a way that's respectful? How do you do it in a way where you can collect as many insights as you can so that you're building a solution that actually works. How did you do it with uh, keeping in mind the the competitors? You know, um, so, for example, at Uber, a lot of people think Lyft is the only competitor, uh, per se, right? But the truth of the matter is we, we're a global space. Uber is in 77 countries, right? Right. Uh, more than two-thirds of their customers are outside, excuse me, their drivers are outside the United mm-hmm. States. So if there's more than two-thirds two of drivers thirds, outside okay. the United States, and we have problems like picking up where there are people in the streets of India, yeah. right? How do you create the right estimated time when cows are sacred if they cross the road? Mm-hmm. How do you create um, a pickup spot when Shibuya Crossing has 10 million people crossing a week, 
right? How do you pick up there? How do you pick up there? So these are the kinds of problems <laughs> that we figure out, right? I mean, but those kinds of problems translate to great things for us. So we have our own methods that we yeah. test out in these different places. But think about it. If you can figure out how to do a pickup in Shibuya Crossing in Japan, right? If you can figure that out, you can figure out how to pick people up in Coachella, right? <laughs> you, If you can figure out how to work with some of these worst-case scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. They literally create opportunity, seemingly, right? You can literally create opportunity for the masses. And so I have come across as a person that represents a global context to design of anything, right? Mm -hmm. And so when people think of me, they think, okay, how do I bring insights globally to develop? But I actually prefer to be seen as someone who helps with the underrepresented voice, bringing to light that voice. Mm -hmm. So... So you do this through consulting. I do right? this through mm-hmm. consulting, engineering. So I have a company called Duyon Signature where I help folks. Uh, so that's my last name, Signature. I'll tell you a little bit of the story about that name. <laughs> but um, well, I help uh, folks kind of see where their own limitations are in their design process and show them ways to uh, increase their insights mm-hmm. that they pull from all these other places. Um, and that can mean working in places like Oakland to actually building out in places like Brazil. So I've helped, for example, at Uber create programs uh, to pull in insights from Brazil, India, and Mexico so that we have a, uh, a agile, as we call it, project, uh, processing um, feature check, okay. right? So as things get developed from engineering, we can actually test this around the world so we can build a more global product and also see where there are outliers. And so I've been able to help with a number of folks in realizing their full potential in their corporations. So it's a lot of what you do then like really sitting down with people from different cultures and understanding their needs and actually not bringing in your biases, but trying to understand what it is culturally that's different between us and them and how we can become like one kind of larger entity yeah that's a bit of it and and some of it is actually trying to find the right people and around the world Mm, and training them on how to do this right how do you work with americans so you're literally giving other people the tools to to create what they need within their space right and Mm -hmm. it 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 changes it's hard to just call it one thing because depending on the needs of your corporation or your startup right it may be different. So a place like Uber, who already has a presence in so many places in the mm-hmm. world, is going to look very different from a place like Google, who's working with software and ads and different yeah. things, yeah. right? So it's customized programming mm-hmm. um, and customized uh, education, right, to help folks scale to the markets that they want to, but in the most conscious way. So I want to hear the story behind the name Do You Own Signature. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, when I go back to the village in Haiti, uh, so I'm like, again, always in a place as culture shock. I'm also a culture shock in my own country. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I go back to our little farmland village. It's in Okai, Haiti, or Okai is, uh, Likai is south of Port-au-Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I go onto the land and people are like, you know, you're familiar. Who do I, where do I know you from? And I say, you know, I'm a Duyon. 
That's my last name. Anybody who's a Duyon is part of my family, right? And they say, oh, I should have known because I see the Duyon signature, which is our eyes. <laughs> Duyons <laughs> tend to have really large eyes so we can see things, <laughs> right? And so I, I took that name, the fact that every time I come home, they're like, ah, oh, there's the Duyon signature, mm-hmm. the look, the eyes that say that I am a Duyon. And I decided that that was my unique trait of being able to look at anything and find the holes really in a so I I do it instantly I do it all the time from looking at doors that you know I bet you've been to doors where you push and pull and are just like why can't they make it this way (laughs) right Right. if they just made it with a flat surface that makes you push and if it has a handle that instantly has the affordance of pulling and so I see these design problems and I see myself as like literally the design whisperer that comes into these companies and saying, oh man, this is broken, this is broken, that doesn't work, right? But giving hope as well on top of it and saying, hey, you know what could solve these or figure out these problems faster if you talk to someone that didn't look like you. Surprise, <laughs> you know? surprise. I know. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I found this world of UX. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about purpose and why I feel it is part of my purpose to change this world by getting these insights in the right hands of the people that can reach the most. Tech, the, these corporations, they have the most reach in the entire world. They, I mean, Netflix can literally access the data of all these people around the world. And while you have this data, what is your responsibility with mm, it? Yeah. Right? But, you know, I remember when I was in college, uh, grad school, uh, a guy I was dating said to me that I was not an engineer. Mm. He felt that, you know, I just told you I have an information systems degree, I have a uh, a sociology degree, human-computer interaction, worked a bit in human factors engineering, and I was teaching computer science. But as Mm -hmm. far as he was concerned, because he had all the degrees in in chemical engineering was his field, Mm -hmm. but didn't have the experience, he felt that he was more of an engineer than I was because engineer wasn't in the title of most of my degrees. How dare he? Is this who I think it is? (laughs) (laughs) You met him a few times. Uh Uh But, you know, here was the response I gave him. Because now we're going back to this village I talk about in Haiti, right? Are you telling me that the Haitians that build bridges without a degree aren't engineers? Mm. Are you telling me that the Haitians that are peacemakers and mediators aren't lawyers without their degrees? Mm. Are you telling me my grandmother, who knows how to heal the sick and deliver babies, isn't a doctor? You're telling me that I need someone else to tell me what my purpose in this world is? Mm. And, I, and, and, and so the question I now ask people of color when I meet them to help with this perception problem yeah. <laughs> that this gentleman had is. Yep. is, let's say colonialism didn't exist. Let's say industrialism did not exist. Mm. You are back in your tribe somewhere in West Africa or in some Native American community or Native community, indigenous place, Mm -hmm. what role are you playing in this community? Because I can promise you you're not twiddling your fingers. There is is something that is universal that I believe. And I've been traveling the world to understand that. So a lot of people think I travel the world because I'm like touring or something like that. (laughs) Not at all. I'm traveling the world mostly to try to figure out what is our common denominator as humans. If we are fed so many things from culture, from society, from systems, at what point do we get to our real core, yeah. right? And so what I've learned there is... you go, asking questions again. Always asking <laughs> questions. Why do we got to operate in this hierarchy? Yeah. You know, yeah. like I really want to know beyond you telling me that you think your purpose is to be a computer scientist when a computer scientist is not a role you can get in a village in the community I grew up in, <laughs> right? 
what can you do and what does that mean? And so my answer to that is that there is a core purpose, right? For me, it's storytelling. I have found a way to take storytelling and I could have done anything. I could have been a preacher. I could have been a doctor. I could have been a judge. Haven't you run awards for storytelling? I am quite, yeah, I really, I mean, I got stories for days. <laughs> for days. Really? I mean, you gosh, if I could talk. I, <laughs> you got stories? No, <laughs> Most you. people know about that, you know, and I, I believe in community. I'm also a dancer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do several carnivals all over the world oh, yeah. from, you know, the Bahamas to Trinidad to London to L.A. Hollywood Carnival, okay, you know, mm-hmm. love the skin I'm in and have no problem with, you know, the, one of the things I noticed in American culture is there's a body image issue where Caribbean people are like, but I'm beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what yeah. size. Right. Shape, height, we going right. out there. It's because it's hot <laughs> <laughs> and we we want some air, you know, <laughs> and if we can have some dancing in a little room, that's going to be OK, too, <laughs> okay. you know. But so, you know, I've, I found that if people are aligned to their true purpose in that sense, they'll know that no one can take that away from you. Mm-hmm. No man can tell me that I'm not an engineer. There's, there, you asked about my confidence earlier. You can't tell me your insecurities and pour that crap on me. Right. I'm not going to take it because I know that whether I went to school or not, I was going to build. Yeah. Whether I went to school or not, I was going to put together a community. I was going to share stories. And so to me, that essence of who you are is really important as you design the work that you want to do. So when people switch fields and they say things like, oh, I know it sounds confusing. It's not confusing to me. There's a common denominator, you know, and that is the the purpose that you have on in this world. And I'm just grateful that, you know, our listeners are hearing this, especially the younger ones, right? Because too often we have people who are naysayers and who are negative and tell us, you can't, you won't, you know, there's no way. Yeah. And we hear it, we listen to it, we digest it, we marinate on it. Instead of saying what you said, which is I know who I am. Yeah. And I'm confident in my abilities and I can do whatever it is that I set my mind to. Absolutely. Whether that be someone who has access to technology and all of these different things or someone in a rural community who doesn't have much more than what they can do with their hands, you know? Yeah. But let me but it's mm-hmm. rich, you know, in culture and something that we lack, I think, as Americans is this understanding that everyone in this world is rich in some way. And valuable. Absolutely absolutely valuable if only we knew that we didn't have to wait on somebody else's validation Mm -hmm. to know our own value Mm -hmm. and that is something everyone whether you are black white green uh, seems to have some issues with at least in this country because this is not true everywhere else that's a American cultural thing it is because you know you spend your whole life you're getting grades because someone else says that your work is sufficient and you know you go to college same sort of thing so you go to get a job and your boss is the one who tells you if you get a raise or not so there's always this external sort of validation of things that are in you and that's kind of just built into the culture yeah well let me tell you the short way that I've been able to get my mind off of that and my mother told me when I was younger and I saw snow and I wanted to shovel so badly. My mother and father <laughs> in a room. And my father said, because I was like, Dad, I want to shovel snow. He said, um, no daughter of mine is going to shovel snow. And, you know, he went off to work. And my mother was like, Nancy, go grab the shovel and go outside and shovel the snow. <laughs> right. I go out. I'm At this point, I must have been 10 or something. 
And I'm shoveling the snow. I come back in. It probably was like a f- 20 minutes or something, maybe a half hour. And she's like, what do you think? And I said, it was horrible. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. Now, mind you, before my father le- left, he was telling me, like, you can't do this. Like, this is trash. It's not something you can do. And my mother's like, explain to her why. He's like, because she can't. She's a girl. That's not what she needs to be doing. And so when I got back in and I tell my mother, this was horrible. Shoveling snow was absolutely the worst experience ever. My hands are cold. My head hurts. Her response is, and that's why we don't shovel snow. It's not because we don't want to, I mean, that we can't do it. Right. It's because we don't want to. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's a difference between, I mean, we are fully capable. This perceived yeah. ability problem that we have is something that is fed to our society, sure. but it is not real. There is, you can do math. Mm-hmm. It's whether you want to or not, right. right? And so to me, it's something that I've kind of kept in my spirit for understanding that, okay, it's never about can I do it? I can do anything. It's is this really aligned with what I want to do? Is this aligned with my purpose? And so if so, then I'm going to put my best foot effort, mm-hmm. uh, my best foot forward. Mm-hmm. And since you are the queen of doing you, it's, <laughs> it's clear that you've definitely figured out a way to make that who you are, like make that. The do your own signature. Hey, yeah. you got that. You got that. <laughs> so, Nancy, we know you are queen of doing the absolute most, but what are your next steps? Like, what do you see in the future? So, it, it's it's funny that I actually do think I figured out at least the theme of what's going to happen next. And, you know, I, I joke and say that I feel like I'm the Eon Love and Sot of business. If you guys know who Yanla is, yes. <laughs> right? She yes, daughter. is right. She is about helping people heal, mm-hmm. right? And so, to me, I strongly believe that each of us, and especially corporations, have responsibility for the energy that we put out in this world, mm-hmm. and that we are also responsible for our own healing. And so, for me, that means trying to reach as much people as possible to heal their minds and their, their spirits around what they can and can't do, especially when it comes to economic empowerment, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I hope that I will lead the next Black Wall Street. I hope that I will lead the next group of women who are wealthy leaders in this world who are really bringing their own perspective and innovation to the scene. I hope that I can be a representation for different cultures and the beauty that these countries have and a shift in westernized perspective of what it means to share or to come into another space. I'm right? ready for it, girl. Oh, it's exciting. And, and so I, I've been kind of sticking with this thing I'm calling the three S's for my life, mm-hmm. and that is scale, social impact, and systematic change. And so the the idea is that how can I reach as many people as I can? Uh, how can I make sure that I'm making positive social impact in the process? And really, for me, the root cause analysis, you can put a Band-Aid on everything, but if you don't get to the system, if you can't change the way that systematic thought is going, then then you're going to end up with the same things going on over and over again, repeating itself, history kind repeating itself. Breaking down those structures. Right, and so things. I want to get into it, root, <laughs> right, <laughs> of it, and, and really change the world because I believe in my mind I am alphabet. And if you guys know what alphabet is, there's Google, oh, yeah. right, which is a subcategory, <laughs> and they decide, you know what, let's take it a step up. Right. <laughs> Google's too small for us, and I think that – I am meant to make huge, huge impact in the world. And you've heard about my storytelling, but I I feel my power is in my voice Mm -hmm. and I want to reach as many people as possible. And so that means writing books, which I'm working on uh, for 2019. Some books are going to come out, a couple, hopefully. Mm -hmm. 
And what that means is is speaking more. I speak almost every week um, and put my voice out there. And so trying to find platforms to scale out my voice even further, you yeah, know. It's so been that, great yes. kind of being a part of that piece yeah. and mm-hmm. having you come and talk at, at one of the things that we run through IMCS. Well, one of the things that Kyla runs, <laughs> which well, is our shirts. the National Society <laughs> of Blacks and Computing Conference. So right. Nancy has talked. Have you spoken at each Every of them? Every single one. Yeah. Every wow. One. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a great safe space. Way. Yeah, It's no, such you, a wonderful space. You are definitely uh, a pillar of what we want represented at each of those events. And yeah. You've inspired so many people just through that conference alone. Yeah. Oh, thank you. The students, when we look at the evaluations, like everyone, you all, your session, the one you do with Wakati as well, those are oh, yeah. always the Cracking most highly code. rated. <laughs> yes. Like they're out here telling these kids, this is how you get these coding interviews. In case you didn't realize it, Nancy wasn't just like handed these jobs. She had to do coding interviews and all sorts of really rigorous testing. And like she said, she has uncracked the code. So she's here teaching people like, look, this is what you need to do I did it. There are a lot of people who are in high places that will hide information from you to think like, oh, now you're in competition with me if I show you mm. how to get where I am. But this is exactly the opposite here. So, yes, the yes, coding interview one is demystifying. It's all about demystifying and telling the truth. Yes. And, you know, I've asked a lot of questions that I think a lot of people should have been asking, <laughs> you yeah. know, but and that helps our students, mm-hmm. you know, become prepared. Yeah. Right. Because they aren't asking those questions. And I also think that, you know, again, back to this domestifying and telling the truth about things, I re- it's really important for me to tell folks that it's okay for you to mess up yep. and get back on your feet. I've messed up a lot. In fact, if anything computer science has taught me <laughs> is that it is not something where you get it right the first time ever, yeah. right. <laughs> ever, yeah. right? It's about oh, going yeah. back and recrafting things and creating libraries and tools and understanding where things can loop and be repeated you know I actually teach a computer science class uh, to young people by dance because to me dance is very very similar to code Mm. right oh I mean there's rules to steps and so uh just a a little tidbit out there if you guys want to like figure (laughs) out if you guys are future coders um write out the instructions to your favorite dance and I mean like keep it simple I know y'all guys are like oh I'm gonna get fancy with the flossing and all that and believe me I've told people to keep it simple I'm like get can we get to a solid two-step most people can't do that right can you write the instructions to a two-step and then what they will then do is pass that instruction to their teacher and see if your teacher can follow it right Mm. because if your teacher follows it and starts messing up and does some kind of crazy dance that isn't a two-step and you take that paper back and you make adjustments consider yourself a computer scientist Right. This might be the world for you. Right. But if you cuss her out while trying (laughs) to get her right, there are lots of other fields for you. Um, I do want you guys to also consider the fact that in every field that exists right now, there are more graduates than there are uh, jobs available. Mm. What that means is if you went to school for sociology and things like that. You might have to fight for a job a little bit, but you yeah. might, you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll get a job and things like that. Only computer science, I believe it's two-thirds yeah. more jobs than people who are graduating. That's what right. that means, let's break this down in just critical thinking. <laughs> if there are not enough people in school for computer science and there's a huge need for it, yep. that means, guys, you can teach yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. That is right. Go online and get these sources and apply for these jobs. 
right? Uh, because chances are maybe it doesn't mean that you might get into a Google, but guess what? Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, all these other companies, they got money too. Yeah, and small <laughs> companies get bought yes. by larger companies. I was just yes. going to say, pretty much every company that you can think of needs somebody in tech. Right, right? absolutely. Right. And if you're not comfortable with with interviewing yet, you do what I did. Let me tell you, I applied to McDonald's, right? And I showed up in that interview, and they're like, ma'am, why are you here? <laughs> why are you applying to this job? That's a great question. Let me answer that and how I feel McDonald's in this small town can be impacted with my hire, <laughs> you know? So really get comfortable interviewing. Get There are there is nothing you can't do, right? There's Except yourself. is the, You're the only one that can stop you from getting the things that you want. And I think that if I stuck to my narrative, the fact that I was this immigrant kid living in this Haitian commune, couldn't learn English and this and that, if I use that as my sob story for why I didn't get where I needed to go, I, I think I would never, ever know what my purpose is and even live in it. I think I'd just be, you know, sad and probably have other issues. And not to say that there's not healing that I need because I've gone through some things, yep. right, to get this far, you know, but it, 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 I really, truly do hope to empower the world and seeing that, especially as people who look a little different, there's a space for you. And and hopefully you guys hear that from me and believe it today. I feel that. Yeah. That is that is great. So, Nancy, how do we uh, find you on the Internet? <laughs> on the interwebs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm not hard to reach. I I used to tell people I was the only Nancy Duyon in the world because Nancy's not a very Haitian name. <laughs> My parents wanted to ensure that I got a job. Right. <laughs> so hence Nancy. Um, and so if you search for me on the web, I'm pretty much the person that pops up. One of my family members did marry a Nancy, and she changed her last name. We working on it. Here she goes. Yeah, mm. you know I'm saying. So if the woman is a white woman, that's not me. That's how you know it's me. But for the most part, the web is covered in videos about the work I've done. Um, you can sign up on my webpage, DionSignature.com, to get information about um, things that I'm putting out there for community. Community is extremely important to me. It's mm -hmm. extremely. Mm -hmm. Haitians tend to operate in a community mindset. Like you, you can imagine in our village, if you had a problem with somebody, you couldn't hop a plane and leave. <laughs> <laughs> there, you can't just bounce, right? Mm -hmm. You have to deal with community yeah. things as a community and come together. And so um, it's really important that hopefully what I put out there as resources as I redesign my brand in 2019 to be really a, a, more of a resource to communities, uh, businesses, women, um, anything underrepresented in this world. I want to encourage people to start going out and creating their own opportunities and work. Um, that might sound hypocritical in the sense of like, well, what are you doing between the world of entrepreneurship and working with these corporations? But I see corporations as a college education that pays you to learn, hmm. right? You get to mess up on their dime. Hopefully not too much. <laughs> not too much. But, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up learning that, you know, these institutions, as intimidating as we make them seem, I, I grew up in it, right? Yeah. And so to grow up in a place like MIT and not feel the pressure of, Oh my God, this is a world that, you know, it's, they're all smart and they're better than me and this and that. Um, I've been able to really navigate these mostly white spaces really as myself, right? And so um, 
with that, that it, it's created yeah. peace and it's also it created an opportunity for me to see beyond what messaging is given mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. I come there and I'm like, all right, how's the hierarchy work here? Who's in charge? Mm-hmm. How are they getting money? What the heck is a stock, right? <laughs> like, why are they giving them out? Why do people stay here? When they, they have billion dollar brains but are settling for mm-hmm. multi-thousands of dollars. And and so I've used my, my corporate education um, as a way to gain more knowledge so that when I work from the outside with these enterprises, I actually know their souls and structures, right? Mm-hmm. I can actually can speak the language that makes things move. And so I said I, my goal was to change the world. And in order to change the world, you got to know how the world operates. And mm-hmm. so sometimes that does mean working with others, <laughs> like in learning um, what it is that they're looking for. And so now that from the outside, I can actually serve their needs. Yeah. They also are customers they also are users right and if i want to deliver to people it's not just customers who are paying us but the people who are collecting the funds and how they're spreading it those are customers that are important to to me at least so hopefully on your website we can find more about uh, opportunities to learn and then places that people can hear you speak and talk about more about what you're doing and and some of the future efforts that you're going to have. That's a good idea. I you should put like, a speaker schedule up on <laughs> there. Definitely a great nice. idea. You know how, like, people to be able to hear from you. <laughs> yes. I think like how Beyonce has the beehive, you should have like the Nancy <laughs> Nation or something. <laughs> the Nancy. We're going to work <laughs> on it. I almost want to call it the hydrating something hydration like that. Nation. You know, hydration <laughs> nation. You know? For sure, because I feel like I said it's not just about accelerating and getting things out the door as quickly as possible, but actually putting nutritional things out there, yeah. right? Healthy things out yeah. there, and that requires some water. You know, right. what I'm saying, drink your water, all of you. Yes. Like, right. Drink your water. <laughs> actually, that's a great that's a good, uh, transition <laughs> into our closing for today. Right. So, Nancy, thank you so yes. much. Thank you so much for coming, Nancy. For all of this time. As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com. Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Kyla's at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I'm at Jeremy Wesa. Until next time, drink some water, eat some vegetables, and be extra like guacamole because guacamole adds quality and isn't just extra for no reason. <laughs> <laughs>